Welcome back, pool fans from across the country and around the world. You are listening to American Billiard Radio. My name is Mr. Bond, as in James Bond, and I'll be your host once again this week. Today is March. Why did I say March? Today is May 19th, 2016. I'm going to have some problems today. Uh, The show is brought to you in part by Q Sports International, creating more choices for more players. And uh, speaking of CSI, uh, they just announced their uh, bar table championships for this year. Going to be off in August there, so you're going to want to check in on that if you are uh, looking to play. Ladies, I encourage you to go. You know, the field is not very wide. It's not very broad there. You know, you guys got a chance if you go out there, so. You should try to do that. And what else is going on in the news? Well, um, we're going to send out some congratulations um, to the winners at the Chuck Markalis Memorial that just took place out in Sacramento. Uh, Rodney, guess who's on fire? Rodney Morris is on fire. He takes yet another points, a stack of points for his uh, Moscone Cup run by taking second place at the Chuck Markless. Uh Congrats to him and Vilmos and, uh, let's see, Amar and Tony and Oscar. Those guys all did really well, and they got themselves some points for the, for the cup. So I know Oscar and Rodney in particular were looking for those. So congrats, guys. Keep up the good work. Um, what's going on in the pool world? You know, tonight, as we speak, as a matter of fact, it's probably already taken place. Mr. Jerry Tarantola of New York City is producing a brand new uh, video series. Um, and tonight is his premiere night. There will be a, a new episode every week uh, for the next, you know, 10, 11 weeks, I, I think. And uh, it will be airing at 8 o'clock every Thursday. I'm assuming that that is Eastern time. So that's a little bit earlier for us, but uh, the series has to do, or it's based around Gotham City Billiards there in New York. And they are, it's a, I don't want to call it a reality series because it's not a reality, a reality series in, in the sense of a reality TV show, but it's reality as in it's not scripted and they're following different players uh, of all levels for the next several weeks and I don't want to spoil anything I don't want to give it away you guys should check it out um, like I said the premiere episode is tonight it should be online right now and you can go to the Gotham City Billiards website or their or excuse me Gotham City Facebook page or the Gotham City YouTube page to check it out and watch it and tell us what you think about that you know that'll be interesting some uh, some more video documentary done a pool should be good stuff so I wish uh, uh, Jerry the best of luck with all that and you guys like I said go check it out and tell them what you think about it um, coming up this weekend actually some more good pool to watch is uh, Daniel Bush and the POV pool crew out on the west coast they're bringing in uh, Efren and they're going to do a bunch of challenge matches and a bunch of cool stuff like this and it's going to be available to watch on uh, their network so by all means go check out POV pool to see what they're doing with that 
and uh, and then also this weekend, big track, Mr. Uh, Ray Hansen and the um, uh, his crew are going to be down in uh, New Orleans at Buffalo's Billiards doing a cool event down there. It's an eight ball event and it's you're gonna want to watch it if you're a fan of eight ball or if you're a fan of any of these guys that are gonna be playing i mean this is like a pretty tight field mike massey dennis arcoyo warren camco rob Saez, shane mcmahon i mean the list goes on and on cliff joiner drake Neepater. now this he's a junior junior gonna be there Competing with the big dogs, so if you want to see some some really good eight ball being played, uh, you definitely want to get in on that. Uh, go to uh, uh, the Pool Action TV website to check out uh, the pay per view for that for Buffalo Billiards, and then uh, you know the next couple days later, uh, Efren's going to be over at Buffalo's also, actually playing in some one pocket. So that's going to be uh, another an interesting show. If you want to see that, go check out the the uh, PoolActionTV.com to check in on the, the pay-per-view. That's most excellent. And then, of course, that's just warm-up for Efren. He's getting ready for this AccuStats match that's coming up. Um, if you guys uh, are not aware of it, AccuStats, Pat Fleming at all they're throwing the make it happen one pocket match will be uh june 2nd and through the 5th so it's coming up pretty quick here that's gonna be efren versus tony chohan versus alex pegalan versus sam van boning versus danny smith versus jeremy jones one pocket you got to see this this is gonna be really good really really good stuff so don't miss out on that you know no matter what you do and then uh, let's see what's coming up right after uh, we've got to June 3rd to the 5th is the NAPT inaugural 10-ball invitational. In case you're not aware of what that is, uh, this is a new, uh, I, you know, they're going to hit me if I say this wrong, but it's a, uh, a female-based organization, the NAPT, trying to give better opportunities for the female players. So they're whole, hosting their first um, inaugural 10-ball invitational and that is going to be um out in herndon gonna be some good pool um we don't have a lot of other news for you for the week so what i'm gonna do is uh share a little historical tidbit with you right after we give you the one minute pool instructor for this week we'll be right back after this Hi, I'm Scott Lee. Randy G. Welcome to the One Minute Pool Instructor. This week, we've got uh, a little bit of knowledge and information to give you about the upcoming Atlantic Cup. What is that, Randy? Well, the Atlantic Cup is uh, in its sludging years. It's uh, for the youth. Mm -hmm. It's it's uh, part of the BEF program. It's uh, this will be the second year. I, I believe so. Uh, last uh, last year we were overseas, uh -huh. and this year they're coming over here. Um, it's for the youth. It's uh, got an age limit, 
and they play, it's a take, a knockoff of the Moscone Cup. So this isn't like the the uh, Junior World Championships? No. This no, is, but it, this is just like the, Europe versus the It's called the, the Atlantic Challenge Cup. Okay. And, and it's, it's really neat. Um, we have four women and uh, uh, six gentlemen uh, representing the United States in various formats. And is there a, an age limit here? You can, I can't believe be over it's, 18 yeah, I, yeah, yes. Okay. Uh, um, I think it's from 13, 14 to 18, yes. Okay. Um, and, and I know there's a committee, United States-wide, that gets a, a list of 20, 25 youth and these youth have to give not only their grade point averages, what they do in high school, um, uh, their own resumes. They, it's, uh, yeah, why do you think you deserve to be on the uh, team? Team. That's right. And uh, we narrow that down from uh, about 20 candidates down to four female and, and six male. And then there's uh, two standbys, one in each category. So what would you say has the greater weight in terms of choosing these kids? Their talent or their attitude? Oh, well, their grade point average. Uh, and then I think team camaraderie. Okay. But certainly... The, playing well with others? Yeah, playing well. Not, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, not, it's not my ball. You can't go home till I'm done with it or whatever. No. I, I think um, as in all team competition, you have to trust your teammate when they're at the table. Sure. And, uh, so, I mean... Um, I was real close to the Atlantic Cup last year. I was happy what happened. I think this year um, the United States is going to shine. Uh, we've got some new people in the Atlantic Cup, um, um, some returnees. We've got a, a good blend of, of old and new. Um, are the kids that are, will play in the Atlantic Cup, are they all part of the Junior National Program? Or are there some that are independent? They're, they're, no, there are some that are independent. They just... Uh, um, I don't think that is a criteria, but uh, most all of them play in the BEF anyway, uh -huh. or, or the junior programs. Right. So that's where they come from anyway. It's very seldom we find a 16-year-old uh, a that's not associated with, with one of the junior programs. Mm -hmm. So, no, we're pretty, we're pretty sure of who these people are, but they have to write their resumes themselves, and it's pretty neat listening to how they talk about their league activities, their tournament activities, what games they enjoy most, um, how they practice, who they practice with, who their instructors are is amazing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, this thing is, is going to happen, Scott, in July, early July in Schaumburg, Illinois. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's going to be a really big affair. That's exciting. Well, and I mean, as the Moscone Cup is to us, mm -hmm. You hear the youth get their own showcase. Do you know if there is a, a plan to do any streaming? Oh, I don't know anything about that. I, okay. I, I'm on the outside looking in. There you go. Uh, all I was was uh, part of the board to... Help make the decision on who goes. So are there right. 10 Americans and 10 Europeans? Yes. Okay. Yes, with a, I think with a standby in each category. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, and they're going to play the same formats, the Scotch doubles formats, the team formats. The, yeah, so it's, yeah, it's... That's pretty neat. Yeah, uh, it wasn't there when I was a kid, that's for sure. I would have, I would have even got a better grade point just to know that. <laughs> well, maybe. So I encourage anybody who's got youth out there, uh, got a 
12, 13, 14, 15 year old uh, daughter or son get involved in this program. And uh, it's amazing what the, the youth programs are doing nowadays. And it's about time, by the way. Well, yeah. It's amazing. I mean, it was one of the big problems why the U.S. is behind uh, some of the other countries out there is because we don't have a standardized program to get the youth involved in playing. No, not at all. And, and now and we're kind of moving towards that. Countries like Germany and Holland China. and China, uh, they, China, they have, they've got uh, programs in place for grade school kids. Absolutely. And so they take them uh, right along with them all the way. Well, let's hope that the Atlantic Cup is a uh, precursor of good things to come for the U.S. Well, the, if it's anything by what I see in the lineup to be, these people will represent the United States. These youth will represent the United States in, in flying colors. It isn't winning and losing. It's, it's all about representing your country, your team, your teammates. It's, that's what it's all about. It's, it's like the Olympics. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, that's some good information about the upcoming 2016 Atlantic Cup. Uh, next week, uh, we'll talk about some new training aids. Oh, I've got a new there. one. All right, good. Well, for the One Minute Pool Instructor, I'm Scott Lee. And this is Randy G. And we'll see you then. All right, welcome back, everybody. Um, as you know, I like to throw in some historical stuff every now and then about pool and billiards. And uh, because we're out of Chicago, you know, we have a lot of that here. <laughs> so uh, I thought I would share something with you since we had a little short show this week. Um, I was down in the city of Chicago at a really beautiful park called Lincoln Park. It's on the, uh, what they call the north side of Chicago. Um, really, really beautiful, expansive park. It's nice to have parks like that in the city. Um, it just so happens that this piece of parkland, back in the 1860s, it was a cemetery for the city. And they had a little leftover land, and they decided, you know what, let's stop making a cemetery here. Let's convert this into parkland. We're going to run out of room, and we don't want a cemetery right in the middle of town. They relocated it. It was a little bit spooky, to be honest with you, because some of the soldiers had been there, uh, or excuse me, some of the people had been in that cemetery, you know, from from the time that Chicago was founded, all the way up until the Civil War era. There, era, there were being uh, prisoners from Confederacy were being placed in this cemetery. So they decided to move the park. And they, uh, they say that they extracted all of the bodies and everything and did all the stuff to reclaim the land and turn a cemetery into a park. Beautiful park. It is a beautiful park. Um, as a side note, you know, they keep finding bodies in there. <laughs> they didn't do a good job of cleaning it all up because uh, as recently as 1998, they were doing excavation for a parking garage. Ironically for the Chicago History Museum, and they found bodies from the cemetery. So apparently they didn't do a good job of cleaning it up, but that's a different story. Um, when when the park was converted from a, uh, when the park was built and it was being converted from a cemetery, they, they tried to remove everything, except over in the corner of the cemetery, there was this one really big, massive structure 
of concrete and rock that was a mausoleum that had been built for the Couch family. And you're hearing that right. Their family name was Couch, like you sit on a couch. So if you go to Chicago today, you can go to Lincoln Park today. And over in the corner of the park, there is no sign of any cemetery ever having been there. It's just this beautiful park. Except over in the corner, there's this big mausoleum that belongs in a cemetery. It's kind of a curiosity, you know, like you're in the middle of a park and there's a mausoleum that says couch on it. The story has been retold, the legend of why this uh, mausoleum was left there. It's been told and retold a bunch of different times. People have speculated over uh, the family of the, uh, that owned the mausoleum, uh, might have fought the park when they converted it uh, from a cemetery. Um, th- there are simple suggestions that somebody thought it would just be nice to leave it there as a memorial. Um, the most likely story is that this big honking mausoleum was probably too expensive to move at the time because it's, you know, for a mausoleum, it's heavy and the, and it's big and to be able to move it would take a lot of equipment and a lot of money. So I think they probably just decided just to leave it because it was probably the biggest thing in the, in the cemetery at the time. Now keep in mind, this was something that was the mausoleum was originally put there in 1858. So this mausoleum has been sitting in Lincoln Park, or what is now Lincoln Park, for all that time. They actually recently uh, did some work on it, kind of restored it a little bit and made it look nicer. But its purpose is not clear to anybody that just walks through the park. There's no uh, signage that says why they left it there. It's a little local mystery. Nobody seems to know why. <clears throat> well, I didn't really, you know, concern myself with it. I was looking for something completely different in the historical record. When I came across a piece of information, uh, the Couch family, whose mausoleum it belongs to, um, they were actually the builders of one of Chicago's earliest hotels called the Tremont House. The Tremont House was originally built in Chicago when it was just a, uh, a small group of people in the woods. When it was a small town, the Tremont House was first built there. Uh, they had a fire. Now, that, that would have been like uh, 1837-ish. And they had a fire, and they rebuilt it. They had another fire. They rebuilt it. All that kind of other good stories. Here's why the Couch family is interesting. Um, it has said and has been written in history books that the Couch family and their Tremont Hotel in Chicago was the home of the very first billiard hall in Chicago. So what I thought would be, you know, maybe we should go out to Lincoln Park where this mausoleum is and put a sign there and, and, and we can tell people that the reason why the mausoleum was left was because that's a, a monument to the the first billiard hall in Chicago. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice to have our own little monument? Well, here's, you know, like all good stories, there's a twist on the story. The first the first billiard hall that was licensed through the city, 
and that was contained in something you know nice like a regular building that was probably the Tremont Hotel Billiard Hall however we've uncovered a piece of um, literature from 1875 that tells a story of a billiard hall in Chicago not a billiard hall but a billiard table being in Chicago as early as 1831 in a little log shanty and it's probably because they did they, they probably didn't put it inside of a business because at the time billiards was actually illegal in the state of Illinois so they you know they probably probably put that billiard table out in somebody's little shanty out next to their building so that nobody would get in trouble for having it having it at their uh, at their business you know place of business it was really the uh, the public billiards that was illegal you could have a billiard table in your home but um so the story goes on uh billiards was illegal and they prescribed a a fine that you would be assessed if you were to keep a billiard table in the public and at first it was five dollars i mean you might think five dollars is not very much money but in 1835 five dollars was a lot of money but uh, this is the really the most interesting part of the story is the fact that they banned billiards in the state and they put in this law that said that you would be fined if you kept this table. And somehow or another, the, the, the citizens, the, the uh, hotel and the tavern owners, they agreed, well, okay, I'm going to get fined for it. I might as well pay it and keep my billiard table. So in return, they upped the fines for billiard tables. And that might seem just like a petty thing to remember of history, but what this actually is is a representation of how fines and penalties turned into licensing fees. They penalized you for having it, but it wasn't to stop you from doing it. It was just for them to uh, to provide them a way to make money for for you breaking the law at the time so they didn't want you to stop playing pool they just wanted to be able to make a little bit of money off of it so uh the city of chicago actually um passed well the cook county that city chicago chicago's in they had uh, uh, made an arrangement with the state that cook county was able to administrate its own law on billiard tables so they could basically fine you or make you pay the fee for keeping your table there or they could just turn you over to the state because at the state level it was illegal everything went well for a while you know the billiard table owners complied billiard halls were built uh, the game became popular uh, the uh, founder of the Chicago White Sox team, he got a job at the Tremont House as the billiard boy, as the rack boy, brushing tables and serving the customers. The billiards went on. It was still played. It was as if the law had never happened. 
but they started the 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 county and the city decided to take advantage of it, and so they were jacked up the uh, the fines and the fees for tables from about five dollars to twenty five dollars per year per table, and again twenty five dollars a year in eighteen fifty, you know that's not cheap. So the billiard hall owners of Chicago actually revolted. They had a little mini revolt. And they stopped paying their licensing fees. At the time, Chicago had a mayor, a tall man by the name of John Wentworth. They called him Long John Wentworth because he was really tall. He knew about this problem with the billiard fees, uh, the licensing fees. And he also knew that there was a lot of people playing billiards in, in Chicago. Um, he also happened to be the owner of one of the Chicago's newspapers, the mayor, John Wentworth. So he issues a statement in his newspaper. I have a copy of this statement. Um, it, it was really funny because he actually gave him an ultimatum. And I don't want to say bribed them, but... He gave him an ultimatum and threatened every billiard hall owner in the city of Chicago. He wrote something very similar to about what I'm about to tell you right now. He wrote in the newspaper, you know, uh, billiards is illegal according to the state of Illinois, but yet here we have people in Chicago playing it. Um, we've got laws in place for licenses and fees, but yet here we are with these people playing it and the the fees aren't being paid so he gave them an ultimatum he said I'm gonna, I want to say it was about April he said I'm going to give you to May 1st to pay your fees and if you don't we're going to come in uh, number one we're going to take your business license away from you you'll have to shut down and we're going to turn you over to the state of Illinois so you can pay your, your fee to us in Chicago and keep your customers and keep your business or we'll shut you down and turn you over to the state. They didn't have it so. <laughs> oh, and he also went so far as guess what? We guess where your customers are going to go? They're going to go to the to the guy next door who paid his fees. Uh, this was the mayor of Chicago threatened, made a public statement, and threatened to shut every one of them down if they didn't if they didn't comply. Uh, and I get the feeling like a lot of them probably did. Because um, John Wentworth was not somebody to be messed with, number one. And number two, uh, you know, it was a very popular game at the time. Uh, it, it, would have been, it would have been silly to shut yourself down and, and lose all that money. And that, that fight went on for another 25, 30 years after that. It got to the point where even Brunswick, the Brunswick Corporation got involved. And they, in fire, uh, they filed an emergency injunction against the city in the 1880s to stop them from being able to collect the licensing fees until they had a chance to take it to court and for all the, the uh, parties to be heard. Because what had happened prior to then, the, the room owners all got together and petitioned the city again and again and again. And the city, every single time, responded with, we don't see any reason to lower the fees so it, the the problem went on for for years and years and years and years and years so and it ultimately ended up with uh, the formation of the chicago billiard commission 
there's actually a commission that makes these decisions. So there's your little bit of um, billiard history from Chicago. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you again next week right here on American Billiard Radio.